so welcome. We're just so grateful that you've come along to talk about Careers Pathways and we are so grateful for our presenters that have come along. Uh, it's actually Kate down the back. This was all her idea. So um, thanks to Kate for giving us a little nudge in this direction because we know it's something that our community is really interested in. Um, so I'll just quickly do some housekeeping things. Uh, I've met a lot of you, most of you. I'm Marika. I probably look different, not through the camera or over the phone, but I'm the person that generally stalks you constantly for paperwork and things like that. Um, Helen, who you uh, know, had to be an apology. She had a death in the family and unfortunately is at a funeral this afternoon. Um, but she was very sad not to be here to, to talk about uh, this with, with you guys this afternoon. So she asked me to pass on her apologies. So I'll start with um, acknowledging that we're meeting on the lands of the Ngunnawal people and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. So this is a great picture of uh, Ngunnawal country and it's at the Coolamon Ridge Nature Reserve, um, which is a great reminder of where we're meeting today. So I'm welcoming people today from the National Careers Institute, that's Kate, uh, the Careers and Vocational Pathways team in the direction, so we, in the direction of the directorate. So that's currently Peter and Cyrus. And then we've got Gillian coming in a little bit later this afternoon. Just do a quick few reminders about COVID safety. We've got guidelines out on the table just as a reminder. We've asked that you sign in, um, sign your name off on the sheet just in case anything happens and we need to let you know. Um, we'll contact you that way. Uh, bathrooms are just outside the hall, directly opposite the door. Uh, they have been updated since this was the old Stirling College, but that wasn't that long ago. I remember coming here with the old Stirling College toilets. Um, if there is an emergency, we will direct you calmly and appropriately to the area, which I believe is at the back of the car park, so follow Jacinta. <laughs> Um, now, tea coffee is just outside on the doors. There's a beautiful basket of snacks on the back. Feel free to help yourself to any of those things. Um, so we're going to record this today as a podcast because lots of people want to come back, can't necessarily get here. Uh, if you've got any concerns about that, just come and talk to me a bit later. Uh, I might have some concerns when I hear myself, uh, but for now, this is okay. And Jacinta's going to take some photos throughout the event we will get you to sign a photo permissions before we use any photos. So if you don't want us to use a photo with you in it, just let us know, but we won't publish anything without first checking with you. All right, so I'm going to hand over <coughs> to my voice. Here we go. Hand over to Peter and Cyrus. So they're from the Careers and Vocational Pathways team in the directorate, and they're going to talk to us about ASBAs. Well, that's what we call them, but Australian School-Based Apprenticeships. Thank you. Do I need to use the microphone because of the podcast or...? I don't think so. Feel free just to boom. It works all right if you just stay. Stay close right. to it? Okay. Yeah. I just, I don't like talking behind... Yeah, anyways. Me. Hi. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you for your time today. My name is Peter Teo and this is Cyrus Friend. Um, yeah, we are from the Korean Vocational Pathways team downstairs. Um, our work predominantly uh, focuses on vet and schools, so Australian school-based apprenticeships, and that's the reason we're here today is to, to come out and... Um, you know, our role is to go out to high schools and colleges and basically debug Australian internship <coughs> pathways, um, you know, to promote them as a career pathway for all students. So uh, regardless of your career aspirations and your dreams and where you want to go to, an ASBA pathway could be a pathway for you to kind of lead into that. So we go out to high schools and colleges to do the same presentation um, and to help people navigate the system. It can be a bit complex if you don't know 
uh, I suppose the stakeholders involved in the benefits of it, and that's what we're here to, to, to kind of go through today. So Cyrus, he's an ASVA of ours. He was an ASVA last year. He was uh, an ASVA while he studied Year 12 at Dixon College. I won't go too much because he's going to kind of give you a presentation about his journey, um, you know, to kind of outline how he got his ASVA and what it's done for his life. He's a full-time trainee with us as, a, as an ASO4. He's 20, 20 years old, 19 years old. Really cool story, but we drag him around to, to kind of share that story with students because, you know, that's what matters. They can relate <coughs> to that. So I just click. Okay. Um, so today's session, so we'll probably spend the next half an hour. We're going to keep it simple and outline what an ASVA is. What, what is an Australian school-based apprenticeship? What the benefits are to you, um, not only professionally, but personally as well. Cyrus will highlight that as part of his journey. We'll talk about how you could start an ASVA. How does it work? And then give you an opportunity to ask questions. Short and sweet. Feel free to ask any questions throughout, because I know sometimes you, you hold on to those questions and you forget at the end, so I'm happy to take questions as we go as well, if, if, if that's what you, you want to do. Okay, so we're just going to play a quick video. Is that supposed to... Yeah, click forward again. Click forward. Alright. We're coming to you, good morning. Oh, something I've got something to tell you. What's that, son? Well, I... I, I want to be a trainee. Yeah, it's a shock. To be honest, um, I don't know where we went wrong. It was obvious when you look back. Sorry. We should have seen the signs. Just a phase. Not a phase, Mark. It's a career. I wanted him to follow me into a profession, something that's more traditional. Why can't you be more like Sarah? Well, 30, living with her parents. I'm 31. At least he's got a whole attention. Yeah, but I'll have a qualification, I just won't have the debt. I enjoy my life, we're getting an account, and we have a lot of laughs in the office, obviously. And who's Philip? It's a screwdriver, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> right. We, we like that video, um, and, and the reason we, we wanted to share that video with you is there's a, a lot of stigma placed around Australian school-based apprenticeships. You hear the word apprenticeship, and you think outdoor, construction, cold, low wages, all of this kind of stuff. Forget, forget all of that, it's not true. An Australian school-based apprenticeship in the ASC, we'll go through later, covers around 200 qualifications. You can find an ASBA pathway for any pathway that you want to take throughout high school and college. So the reason we play that is there's a, this pathway is for everybody. It's not just for tradespeople, it's not just for business. Yeah, if you want to be an engineer, we can help you find a pathway through an ASBA to try and achieve those, those goals. So yeah, it's a good video. Um, so, so what is an ASBA? So an ASBA is an is a Australian School-based Apprenticeship, which is part of the Australian Apprenticeship Network or, or Apprenticeship System. The way it works for students in, in, a, in a high school or a college setting is you still continue your studies while you work, and gain a nationally recognised qualification. So I'll give an example. And, I, and look, I'll use a, a, a tradies example because that's the, the, one of the most common ones. So um, let's say your interest is in carpentry. You know, you want to learn to be a builder. You know, that's, that's your, your career goal, to be a builder, own your big building company, make lots of money and build your parents a nice big house. So while you're studying, you go out and you find an employer who's willing to employ you as a student, as a part-time you know, part employee. So what that looks like is, let's say you're studying five days a week, you go to work now one day a week and you get paid for it. 
On another day, you'll go to somewhere like CIT and do your nationally recognised qualification. So you'll start undertaking your certificate three in carpentry over the duration of one or two years. So what that means is you're now studying at home for three days a week, working for one day a week, and then going to uh, a registered training organisation to undertake your nationally recognised qualification. So by the time you, you, you kind of finish your studies, you've got three things. You've got a, a job, you've got a part qualification or a full qualification, depending on which path or which qualification you undertake, and you know, obviously your, your completion of studies as well. So then when you finish, you then continue that employment with your employer and then finish your qualification. So what that means is by the time you finish, let's say hypothetically you're 17 years old, you could almost finish a full-time apprenticeship by the time you're 20, you know, if it's a four-year qualification. The way that it's, um, that, that it's kind of divided in the school system is you can undertake a certificate two level qualification or a certificate three level qualification. The difference in that is the hours that you work and train each, each week. So if you undertake a certificate two in say business administration, um, the requirements say that you've got to work and train a minimum of 11 hours a week and up to 20 hours a week. So what that means is your employer um, must agree to put you on shift for one full day a week, let's just say hypothetically that's eight hours, and then you attend CIT and you get paid to do both. But it's got to be a minimum of 11 hours. And the purpose of that is that you need to have the time on the job to be able to practice what you learn at the registered training organisation. So it's all good and well to go and learn how to use a saw, you know, understand the theory on how to turn on a power drill and plug it in and put in your drill pieces. But it's the on-the-job training where you can practice what you learn that really makes up this nationally recognised qualification and makes up an Australian apprenticeship. So it's work and training related. You can work up to 20 hours during school holidays, depending on um, your EBA, you can actually work up to full-time hours. We have four ASLs with us within our team across um, high school and college students, and they will take up four days a week of work during school holidays. So they, you know, they're able to top up their savings, um, you know, support the team on some big projects. But it's yeah, yeah, it's a really kind of yeah, it's a, it's a good opportunity to kind of increase that that work relationship during the school holidays. Time spent in training must be um, you know must equal twenty percent. So that's how it works. So you know a lot of qualifications will ask for you to go to their their organisation to do the training. There are other delivery modes, so it could be online. They could come out to your workplace. It's all dependent on what you take. So you know for us, to give you an example with our ASVs, um, the training organisation will provide their training assessment material online, so you can kind of do it while you're at work, or while you're at home, or when you have some spare time, but then they'll come into the workplace, you know, maybe, no, sorry, and then the students will go to their organisation probably once a month for a face-to-face -face check in So it's all very different depending on what you want to pay. You earn money whilst you work towards a dream feature, work so you get paid. I didn't have this, you know, back in my day, I, I wish I did, I think it's a really good opportunity. Um, but yeah, it's something. It's definitely something to consider because it's um, you know, what you take away from it is more than just a qualification and learning. And that's what we'll talk about in the next slide. So the benefits. So money. Yeah, we all like to make money. You know, and, and I think it's a good opportunity to be able to 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 I suppose achieve that while you're still studying. Practice practical skills and relevant experience in a workplace. I think this is where I think is the biggest contributor or the biggest benefit for a student. It's, it's not the technical skills, but it's more the soft skills that you get in a workplace. So when we talk about an ASVA, it's not, to me, it's not really about the nationally recognised qualification. It's about working in an adult environment with adults who will mentor you, you know, while you're young at the moment. You know, so it's the soft skills like communication skills. And to give you an example, 
Cyrus, when he came to us, it was quiet. Didn't say a peep for, for weeks. It was shy. It's really intimidating. There's all these old people around him. And, so he just, you know, and then over time, we gave him that mentoring. We gave him that coaching. We involved him in meetings. We dragged him around from pillar to pillar. Six months later, he's sitting in front of groups of 200 students presenting about his, his journey. You know, so they're the kind of things that you will achieve through Yadva. It's, it's, you know, yeah, you'll learn how to, to be a master of your craft. You'll continue your studies, but it's the, real, it's the soft skills that I see as a real benefit for young people. Communication skills, decision-making skills. You know, we put decisions at Cyrus all the time. What would you do? You know, and this is your job. You, you've got to learn to, to make a decision on the spot and use your critical thinking. Um, what other skills are we, are we talking about in soft skills, Cyrus? Just how to work with people, those interpersonal skills. Yeah. And how to collaborate and just communicate in work setting and just... Because you're, you know, at work with your colleagues, you'll have the end goal, you know? So learning how to actually achieve that as a team is really important. Yeah, the yeah. interaction with people is a really big part yeah. of it. Um, you know, time management skills. You know, sometimes we'll load Cyrus up with you know, a to-do list of 30 things and we give him time frames. So he's got to, you know, we work with him and we mentor him and through his certificate three in business, He's learned how to be really, you know, to manage his time really well. You know, he deadlines and using Microsoft calendars and, and checklists and things like that. It's all of these little incidental things that we take for granted that you kind of don't think about that you will learn um, when you're undertaking an ASVAR. Networking, conflict resolution. Oh, we're all going to come across conflict sometime in our life, and to be able to manage that, uh, it's not easy. You know, when someone is standing in front of you and they disagree with what you agree with. You know, how do you manage that? You know, we can't react to it in a work setting. So some of these things you'll take for life. You know, some of the, the soft skills that Cyrus has learned, he will take for the rest of his life, regardless of what job he goes into. You know, all he'll do is just get better and better at it. You know, to a point where he's teaching other people how to develop their soft skills. So, yeah, I, I see that as the biggest benefit in, in an Australian school apprenticeship. It's, it's, it's the soft skills that you'll take away from working as an employer under an asshole. Um, yeah, you'll get a qualification. You know, this qualification is nationally recognised. So whether it's a business qualification, civil construction qualification, um, media and IT, design, business, the list goes on, it's recognised all around Australia. So if you walk into a, an employer on the other side in WA, you say, I've got a search for in business, automatically they're going to know some of those technical skills that you've learned under that qualification. So they know that you can use an Excel spreadsheet. They know that you can answer a telephone. They know that you can interact with people. You know, they know you can hit the ground running with those basic fundamental skills. So that's what you also take away. So you actually get something out of it that you don't pay for. You know? So generally with ASVAs, a lot of the RTO fees are reimbursed by the employer. There's only a few where I know the students pay for, but they're very little because they're subsidised by the government. You know, a lot of money goes into the sector to make sure that you're able to access these qualifications. So you know, to give an example, and I know Cyrus does it all the time, you know, I'm old, if I was to go out and do a higher qualification, I'm paying for it. You know, whereas he's young, if he undertook qualification at school through an ASA pathway, he's not paying for it. So he's, you know, rather than waiting to finish year 12 and paying $3,000 at, say, CIT to do a cert for a diploma, why not access it while you're at school and let the system pay for it? Because that's what it's there for. Very strong employment and wage outcomes. You know, like, Cyrus will go through some, some data later on, but it is, yes? Sorry, can I just ask, sorry, how that works in a homeschooling environment? About who pays for it? That's a good question. I might have to flick that over to the homeschool team. Oh, uh, it is just the same. Yep. It is the same. Yeah, yep. it's, it's the same. same. Yeah, so, so we same. Think of homeschool as a college. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, homeschool is, is the name of the college. You know, it's like Canberra College or homeschool college. I think that's how we treat it. That's how but we make sure it's equitable and accessible. With the um the the parent is the school. 
Um, um, yes. So that that's the only difference that you wouldn't be expecting the directorate to be the school, but you you act as the school in that three way agreement. Oh, so in the training yeah. contract, you're signing as the parent and as the school. And is that correct? School. Okay, yeah. thank you, thank yeah. you for clarifying that. Um, so yeah. as a parent, are you responsible for that cost, or is it where's the money no. coming out from government? The, the employer. So with that, so so the way the fees work is the RTOs will charge an annual fee. Um, you know, I'll give an example. It could be three hundred fifty dollars a year. So most EBAs will support the employer reimbursing that cost. So it might be the student pays it and the employer reimburses it, or the employer takes the invoice and pays it straight up. That's generally the case, with some exceptions in there as well. Um, so strong employment and wage outcomes. We'll go through some some uh, statistics later, but it is demonstrated that there's a higher a higher percentage of people undertaking an apprenticeship pathway that will come out into full-time employment. And the way that works is if you're, you know, if you have employment with, say, a trade, for example, and you do two years as an ASBA, that generally equates to one year in apprenticeship. So the good way to think about it, the formula is every 12 months in an ASBA equates to six months in a full-time apprenticeship. So when you finish that and you go into a full-time apprenticeship, the, the employers spent two years paying for your wages, developing you, paying for your RTA fees, you know, they'll keep you on to finish that, that qualification. So you've got automatic entry into an, in a, with an employer, basically, when you finish school. Pathways to higher debt um, or university qualification, depending on the qualification you undertake, yeah, it can be a pathway to, a, you know, you can go to Cert 3, Cert 4, Diploma, Advanced Diploma, Degree, Bachelor's Degree. There are links and there are bridging options to get into a higher qualification as well. So a lot of people kind of think, oh, if I do an ASBA or I do a nationally recognised qualification, uh, up to a diploma level, I can't go to university. It's not true. It's actually better because it can be another way to get into university as well. And, and I know so I will talk a little bit about that later. Choose to study one of over 200 nationally recognised qualifications. This is, when people say you can only do an ASBA in, in, in a trade, it's a myth. You know, I did some, um, some research into our active training contracts. At the moment, in the ACT, we've got 637 students across ACT public, independent, and Catholic schools undertaking an Australian school-based apprenticeship. That, I think that's actually an increase in number. That's a, that's a, healthy, that's a healthy number, um, in my opinion. We have students in a, you know, signed up doing a diploma of beauty, beauty and therapy in beauty salons, certificate three in commercial cookery in restaurants, cafes, hotels, and bars. We have certificate three in early childhood care education at, in daycare centres. Certificate three in sports and recreation, and, and we've actually got students employed by ACT public schools doing a cert three in sports and recreation, so being like a, an LSA or, or supporting teachers. Um, certificate three in landscape construction, certificate three in engineering and fabrication, metal fabrication, pergolas, steelworks, certificate three in patisserie, certificate three in allied health services, painting, animal studies, supply chain operations. It is incredibly diverse. Yeah, so. A good way to think of it, so, so we have students, one of the, the, the most common questions we ask is, hey, I want to be a doctor, you know, can I do an ASVA? Hell yeah, you can do an ASVA, because <laughs> think of it like this. If you want to go to uni and, and study a doctorate in, in medicine, if you went to an employer now, let's say a doctor's surgery or, or somewhere in the family health system, say, hey, can I do a certificate three in business admin inside your reception? And they go, yeah, that's great. I'll point you on now. You go through all your processes, what that means is while you're still studying, you're in the environment in the industry that you want to study for. So by the time, let's say hypothetically, you go to uni and you have your first day of uni, you're sitting next to another student who's done 
you know, their college and all that kind of stuff and work somewhere else, you've worked in a doctor's surgery for two years. You've been talking to people in that industry for two years. You've been in a monster for two years. Who's going to be better off when you open that big, big, thick textbook? Who's going to be better off to understand that content than someone who's worked in that industry? You're going to know things. You're going to hear things. You're going to understand things a lot better. But then, while you're studying uni, you're working in a job that's relevant to the degree that you're undertaking. And maybe, by the time you finish your degree, you've got all these networks, and maybe with the same employer that you're working with, or the doctor, will give you a job. So can you kind of see how it's all relatable? So it just depends on how we make it work. You know, there really is an ASVA for anything that you want to do. You know, we've supported students to do an ASVA with um, Boeing, you know, just doing a business course, certainly business. You know, we've done, we've helped students go into all sorts of areas, regardless of what's offered, but we've managed to find a way through an ASA pathway, just so they can get their foot in the door early while they're still at school, to kind of get that industry experience so they're preparing themselves for university. All right, that's uh, enough of me. So I'm going to hand it back to Cyrus and we'll listen to his story. Thank you very Thank much, you. Pete. How are we going, guys? We learning lots so far? Oh, I didn't ask you about an ASVA before. Oh, so. yeah. Before I continue, can I get a show of hands from anybody who before today had actually heard of an Australian school-based apprenticeship? Okay, good. That's good. A few people. Right, well, by the end of the day, you'll be able to confidently raise that hand and hopefully say that uh, you might want to do one. Uh, as Pete said, my name is Cyrus Wren. I currently work here at the Education Directorate full-time as a trainee, studying a Diploma of Project Management. And about two years ago now, in February of 2021, I was in Year 12 at Dixon College and decided that I wanted to start an ASPA, and I started that here. Um, so today, I'm going to be sharing my story um, and explain to you guys how that ASPA got me to where I am today and helped me in my life. And it might get some of you thinking about how you can utilise an Australian school-based apprenticeship for your desired career journey. So my story starts about five years ago now when I was 14 and I just started year nine at Canberra High School. And at this point in time, I'd made this brand new group of friends, right? And in an attempt to sort of try to make them think that I was cool and to try and fit in, I was trying really, really hard to be somebody that I just wasn't, right? And what I mean by that is that I was getting into trouble all the time, I was trying to show off and you know, I was being really rude and disrespectful to my peers and other students and my teachers, right? And as a result of that, I quickly disengaged with my education quite badly. And I really didn't enjoy going to school. Um, if I did decide to go to school, I wouldn't get there until halfway through the day. And when I was there, I definitely wasn't paying any attention in class and I was being really disruptive. So as a result of that, my grades started to decrease as well because I wasn't doing any schoolwork. So I was getting those sort of D's and E's, you know, right at the bottom. Couldn't really go much lower than that. And I kept that up all, all the way throughout that year. And, you know, finished year 9 and then started year 10 at 15. And it started off more or less the same. But then a few months into the year, I had this really big falling out with that friend group. And, you know, to be honest, it was a pretty bad experience. And it ended really badly for me. And it had a really negative impact on me and my mental health. And being 15 at the time, I didn't really understand or have that you know, maturity to deal with all these negative emotions that I was feeling inside of me. Right? I didn't do the right thing. I didn't you know, go and you know, talk to my family about it, didn't talk to the doctor or anything. The way I coped with it was by you know, releasing all this anger and sadness and all these emotions that I was feeling on the people around me at school. You know, I was lashing out on people. And 
to be honest with you, you know, I did and said a lot of really bad things that to this day I'm not proud of, right? And some people would have labelled me as a bit of a bully. Um, but that was how I felt, you know, the only way that I could deal with my emotions was. And that obviously caused me to quickly be labelled by my peers, you know, the other students and teachers as someone who was a bad kid who was going to go out there and do nothing, basically. You know, a lot of people at school and outside of school really didn't believe that I had the ability to achieve anything. And it got towards the end of year 10, and you know, teachers and other students would ask me, Cyrus, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to continue with school? Are you going to drop out? Are you going to get a job? What are you going to do? And at that time, I had no idea what I was going to do. But I always told them that I was going to finish school. It was a goal of mine. I was going to finish school. And when I graduate, I was going to become successful some way. You know, I'd be able to wake up confidently and say that I'm successful. And I was going to believe that. And I always told them that. And what did the majority of people do when I said that? Well, they'd laugh at me, or they might ridicule me, and just basically imply that they didn't have any faith in me at all. But, you know, I sort of tried to take it on the chin and ended up finishing year 10 and started year 11 at Dixon College the, the year after. And it was a little bit different by then. I wasn't getting into trouble as much anymore, but I was more disengaged with school than I ever had been before. You know, I was barely going to school. I was not doing any assessment whatsoever, and I was completely failing my classes. The way it works at college is if you don't go to school enough, or if you don't do enough of your assessment when you're at school, you V-grade your classes, which means it doesn't go against your senior secondary certificate at all. And if you do that enough times, you won't actually be able to graduate year 12. You basically, you'll get to the end and there's nothing for you, right? And that was the reality that I was facing. It was looking like I wasn't going to be able to get that senior secondary certificate. And I was really disappointed to hear that because as I said before, Finishing school was one of my goals. It was something that I really wanted to achieve. So I had a meeting with the school to try and figure something out. You know, I asked them, what can I do to fix this? And they told me, if you go to school for literally every single day, right up until the end of year 12, participate in a couple of programs and also do some work experience that we can use that as towards your senior secondary certificate and you'll be able to graduate year 12. So I heard that and I did that. I went and had a chat with the careers team at school about doing some work experience. And a few weeks later, I decided to go out and do five days of work experience, you know, unpaid volunteering with a school. And I went out there and did uh, sort of an LSA type role, you know, a teacher's assistant in the classroom. And to be honest with you, I hated it. I really didn't enjoy it. And for that week, I found out I definitely didn't want to be an LSA. <laughs> and I went back to the school and told them that. And they said, Cyrus, that's fine. We're going to go back out to the same school the next week but you're not going to be in the classroom. You're going to be in the front office doing sort of business administrative work. So I said, okay. I was a bit nervous. It was never something I thought I was interested in, but I went out and gave it a go. And to my surprise, I really, really enjoyed it. And I started to consider that maybe business admin was a career or business, the world of business was something that I would consider pursuing when I finished school, when I finished year 12. And I went back, told the careers team that, and they said, Cyrus, why wait until you finish year 12? Why wait a whole other year and a half to pursue this. And then they explained to me what an ASBA was. And they explained that I could go to school Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday and Friday, I could come into the workplace, get paid, and then study towards a nationally recognised qualification while still working towards that senior secondary certificate and working in an industry that I actually enjoy. And it was like music to my ears. I was asking, how have I never heard about this before? And I said, well, can you give me one? You know, what do I need to do to sign up? 
And they said, Cyrus, unfortunately, you can't just be given an asthma. There's some work that needs to go into it. And they told me that I needed to go out, find an employer who was interested in taking me on as an ASBA, work five days with them unpaid, doing work experience, and you need to work harder than you've ever worked before. So I did that. I did some poking around on the internet, made some phone calls, and eventually found out that the education directorate here was interested in finding an ASBA student. So a few weeks go by, and I started a five-day work experience placement here at Headley Bear. And for that week, I worked harder than I ever had worked in my 17 years of life. I showed up on time every single day. When I, was at, when I was at work, I asked all the right questions. I asked as many questions as possible. I was trying to show as much initiative as possible. And I was just trying to show my employer that I was a hard worker. Because I knew if I wanted to work for them as an ASBA, I needed to actually sell myself on the job. Because what employer in their right mind is going to employ someone that for five days isn't showing up on time, clearly doesn't want to be there, and just isn't giving it a, a good shot. And I must have done something good, I must have worked hard enough, because at the end of it, they sat me down and they said, Cyrus, you've done good, we'd like to offer you an ASPA. And a few months go by, and finally, in February 2021, I started my ASPA. And it might sound a bit you know, cliche or too good to be true, but from that point forward, my life genuinely changed forever. I quickly started to find benefits in my life, all because of this ASPA. I started to really re-engage with school because I actually had a reason. To, I had a reason to go to school. Because if I wanted to finish this ASPA and get this certificate three in business, I had to finish school, right? And because I'd re-engaged with school, I started going every day and my grades started to improve, right? And I, I didn't get those Ds and Es anymore. They went up to the As and Bs and I actually started to top a couple of my classes, which is something I'd never done before. I finally had this sort of sense of direction in my life. You know, I feel like I finally had this cemented plan in place. I knew that if I worked, you know, for the next 10 months, it'd be the end of the year, I'd get my certificate three, I'd finish school, and maybe I could progress to full-time employment. So I finally had this plan, which I've never had before, which made me feel a lot more positive about my future. So I had this sort of positive outlook on life now. My confidence and maturity started increasing. Because coming into work, you know, I'm working with a bunch of adults. I'm not at school or hanging out with my friends outside of school. I'm with adults. I'm with my employer. I need to put my you know, big boy shoes on and show up to work and not joke around with my colleagues like I would with the people at work. Right? So I was having to be a young adult or a proper adult at work, and that quickly translated into my personal life as well. My confidence was increasing because I was in this unfamiliar environment every day, coming into work with these people I didn't know, having meetings and phone calls and doing all these things I'd never done before and just really stepping outside of my comfort zone. Right, so my confidence was increasing in my abilities and in myself because they were pushing me to try these new things, you know, to, to communicate better, to work as a team better. So my uh, confidence was just increasing overall. And finally, my, my, all those soft skills that Pete were talking, was talking about before, it's all true. Right? I learned all these extremely valuable things that I needed to succeed in the workplace. So I kept working all, all, all throughout the year, right? And was working hard, and it was great, and I loved it. But it got to the end, right? It got to December, I finished school, you know, got the senior secondary certificate, got my certificate three in business, and finished my ASPA. And I thought that was gonna be the end. But because I'd put in that hard work, because I saw it out to the end, and because I actually enjoyed it, Pete, who was my supervisor, at the end, he sat me down and he said, Cyrus, we've loved having you on uh, as a part of the team, 
you've done really good and we want to continue through to some full-time employment. So that was December 2021 and I started my full-time traineeship. So I started studying a diploma of project management. I was working full-time, so five days a week, and I was earning double the amount of money that I was on uh, during my ASPA. So that was, what, a year and a bit ago now? And it's been amazing ever since. You know, I've been working every day. I actually look forward to coming to work. You know, I've been working in the same team for over two, about two years now, right? I'm just doing things I love, like today, coming out and speaking to students like you and sharing everything there is about ASPAS. And that's all because I took that leap of faith and started that ASPA two years ago. So that's my story. But what I want you to take away from this long-winded, convoluted story is that there are benefits to be found from doing an ASBA for every type of person. You don't need to be like I was, right? You could be the smartest person in the room. You could be someone who wants to go on and begin you know, studying at university in medicine or law or something else. Or you could be somewhere in between and just be your average student. It doesn't matter. Because doing an ASBA gives you three things. It gives you motivation, it gives you direction, and it gives you a sense of achievement. And those are three things that everybody in their life needs, right? I need it, you need it, your parents need it, we all need it, okay? And it's so beneficial to have those three things in your life constantly, and you get them from doing an ASPA. So what I really want you to take away from this entire presentation is to just start thinking about how an ASPA could benefit your career journey. You know, we're all different, we're all going to have a different career pathway, right? But I just want you to think about how an ASPA can, might be able to get you to where you want to be in terms of a career. So, that's my little story. Um, now we're going to move on to a bit of myth-busting. Um, as Pete said before, doing an apprenticeship or an ASPA has really strong employment and wage outcomes. A common myth is that VET, which means vocational education and training, graduates earn less money than university graduates. And I'm sure a lot of people have heard it. If you want a high-paying job, you need to go to uni. But that's not always true. The fact is, 50% of VET graduates earn at least $56,000 or more compared to the average uni graduate salary of $54,000. In fact, the highest averaging starting salary for a VET qualification is $85,400 compared to the highest average starting salary of a university degree being $80,000. So if you're sitting there thinking, hey, I want to be earning squillions of dollars when I'm older, I need to go to university, that's not true. You can get a high paying job by going to university, and you can also get a high paying job by doing an apprenticeship or a traineeship. You just need to think about what's going to work best for you. Uh, myth number two, vet graduates struggle to find work. Uh, it's a common view that university graduate, uh, university is the only road to a career. But the truth is, VET graduates actually have a higher employment rate than university graduates. As you can see on the board, 91.8% of VET graduates who did an apprenticeship or traineeship are employed immediately after finishing their training. Just like me. I finished my ASVA one day, and literally, you know, the week after, I was employed into a full-time job. But only 84.8% of university graduates are. So it's minimal, right? But the, the numbers, they don't lie at the end of the day. You know, we see a lot of people in life you know, spend three or four years at university and they struggle to find employment because a lot of them don't have that practical on-the-job experience that you get by doing an apprenticeship. So that, as people say before, the soft skills that you learn 
uh, a lot of the time actually more valuable in terms in you know, an employer's eyes than that qualification that you have. All right, so Pete and I just harped on for the last however long talking about how great ASVAs are and why you should all do them and how they're going to help you, but how do they actually work? How can you go out there and get one? Before you do anything, before you even start thinking about an ASVA, you need to do one thing, and that's figure out whether or not you're actually eligible to do one, because unfortunately, not everybody can do an ASVA. Okay, first of all, you need to be at least 15 years or older. Okay, I'm not sure how old everybody is, but you need to be at least 15 to do an ASPA. Okay? There's no way around that, unfortunately, it's just the way that it is. Uh, next, you need to be either a permanent resident or citizen of Australia or hold an eligible visa. Off the top of my head, I can't name every single one of the eligible visas, but I'm sure we could figure that out um, if one of you to ask. Uh, next, you need to be employed in the ACT. So you don't need to live in the ACT, you can live across the border in New South Wales, Queensland, anywhere, but your employer needs to be in Canberra. Okay? There are similar things you can do out of state, but it's not an aspect, it's just a little bit different. You can be employed in New South Wales, but it's a different training contract, so it means different rules, and we're, that's not our jurisdiction, so there's less support from us to be yeah. able to support you in New South Wales, so between them. So yeah, there's just small differences in here, they're just a little bit different. And finally, you need to be employed part-time. So you can't do an ASPA working full-time, you know, 38, 40 hours a week, and you can't do it working casually. You need to be employed as part-time. So if any of you go out there and do decide to start an ASPA, before you actually sign up, you need to ask your boss and say, hey, am I going to be employed as part-time? So once you've figured out whether you're actually eligible, you just need to start thinking about the job you want. You know, think about your dream job, whatever that may be, right? And once you have an idea of what that is, talk to people, right? Talk to people in similar fields. Talk to your parents, talk to your peers, talk to your friends, you know, talk to anybody. Talk, uh, research, watch videos online, watch TikTok videos, watch YouTube videos. Yep. For a first ask question, so part-time, how many hours is that? So it's not, okay, when you do an ASPA, if you're doing a certificate three, you need to work, you can work a minimum of 11 hours a week. You have to work those 11 hours to a maximum of 20 hours per week. So that's for a certificate two qualification. If you're doing a certificate three or anything higher, it's a minimum of 15 hours per week to a maximum of 20. But yeah, when you're on your contract, it needs to say that you're employed as a part-time employee. So it doesn't have to say that hours are part-time. Yeah, yeah, but you need, to, you need to be working as hours as well. Yeah. yeah. So you know, research online, watch those videos, and once you're pretty sure that this is something you want to do, you need to do work experience. You can't just jump right into the NASPA. You need to find an employer, again, online. It could be your butcher shop up the road. It could be your neighbor. You know, make some phone calls, send some emails, and find the employer. And tell them that you are interested in doing an ASPA and, and that you want to do a five-day-long work experience placement with them. And if they say, sure, you know, come do some work experience, then you can begin those five days of work experience. And what that is, is sort of just an unpaid placement in a workplace. So you go in to maybe, uh, I don't know, a hairdresser salon somewhere, and you'll work for them for five days, but you won't get paid. It's for the experience. But, yeah? Um, can this work experience happen anywhere in Australia, or does it need to be in the ACT? Uh, the work experience can happen anywhere, but usually if you're trying to translate the work experience to an ASVA with the same employer, it'd be more beneficial to do it in Canberra. Yeah. 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 
So when you go there, just because you're not getting paid doesn't mean you don't need to work hard, okay? You're trying to sell yourself on the job. So you need to show up on time. You need to wear the right clothes. You need to ask questions. And you just need to show that you want to be there. An employer is not expecting you to know everything because you want, you likely haven't worked a day in your life in that industry, right? They just want to be shown that you're keen, you're interested in not just the money, you're interested in the industry and that you want to work for them. So if you do that, spend the five days, then you can ask them at the end and say, hey boss, are you interested in taking me on as an asper? Now they might say yes, they might not. If they don't, you just repeat the process, go out, try and find another employer. If they do, then you can nearly begin your asper. There's just a few more things that you need to do. Now this is where it gets a bit blurry with home education between, um, I suppose, mainstream schools. In a mainstream school, you'd, take, you'd say to the school that you found an employer who wants to take you on. In this situation, I think you get in contact with somebody from the directorate, and then we will begin to sort of progress that, right? And then once we can confirm that this employer is interested, we'll get in contact with a company called Serena Russo. What they are are the Australian Apprenticeship Network provider, and they organise everything to do with your training contract. So that's the contract that binds you with your training organisation, your employer, and your parents being the school. And what that, out, what that looks like is a representative from the company will have a meeting with your parent and yourself, and will explain to you your obligations as an apprentice, your rights, your responsibilities, how many hours you'll be working every week, what qualification you'll be doing, etc. And you sign that contract, uh, your parent will sign it, and your employer will sign it, and then you can start your ASPA. From that point forward, you'll start working, the 11 to 20 hours per week, be doing training and assessment activities at CIT or a similar organisation, you know, doing the technical and soft skills and applying it on the job. And then finally at the end, you'll be able to graduate with either a full qualification like I did in this degree in business or a part qualification. If you're doing the trades, you know, it'll go for a few more years. You, know, you might finish as a first year apprentice and at 17 or 18, you know, fit to begin working as a second year apprentice. So that's how they work and that's our presentation. So hopefully you guys all can confidently walk away understanding what an aspect is and might start thinking about how you can utilise that in your career journey. So does anybody have any questions? Yes? So with employers in Canberra, it can be any, any kind of employer that's declined a certificate to line up with that employer, is that how it works? Yes. Yeah. So, how much information does the employer need to already know, or do they kind of get walked through the process as well? Like, say they've never done one before, do they get a helping hand? Or? Yeah, Serena Rosso can yeah. generally do that, but you know, being that we, we've actually got a, a program that we're funded for, it's an election commitment called Head Start. So you know, we're happy to work with home education and yourself. Um, to, if you know of an employer that's willing to take on your, your kids to do an ASBA, we're happy to send, we've got an industry coordinator that can come out and do that legwork for you and support the student. We might even, we've still got, um, so we're launching cohort three of Head Start and that's basically, a, it's an ASBA program but it's supported by a team of people here at the directorate. So we've got a career coach, um, an industry coordinator, and a student support officer that checks in with the student, checks in with the employer throughout the life of the training contract. Um, so yeah, happy to, to kind of share that information if you, you want to reach out and, and yeah, the team can pass on my details or Cyrus' details, and then we can have one of the team, someone from the team come out and talk to you. So in the first instance, just reach out to the home ed team, just the usual contact details. We'll hook you up with these guys and we'll kind of do the facilitating for you. So if you've got anyone that you want to start with, just let us know and we'll get you get you hooked up with your team. 
So yeah, thank you for your time. And then and I just wanted to, to also flag with, with Cyrus, he's a humble young gentleman, um, but he was a committed finalist for the ACT Training Awards as of the year last year. And he was also um, a committed finalist for the ACT Young Citizen Award um, oh. uh, last year, uh, last year, sorry, as of the year two years ago. And then yeah, ACT Young Citizen. So yeah, his journey's well taken him a long way. So yeah, thank you for your time, guys. Thanks so much to Peter and Cyrus for sharing. I'm ready to do an ASPA now, but I'm closer to 50 than anything, so they won't accept me. I'll bring, I'll bring so, some up. Um, yeah. We've got one thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hand over to Kate. Um, so as I mentioned, Kate is both a home educating parent and she works with the National Careers Institute um, and she's going to talk us through uh, some stuff. <laughs> to do with your career. Thanks, Felicia. I'm just thinking about aspers now. Oops. Oh, she's sorry. Oh, oh, God. oh dear. Oh, that's not good. Actually, that gives me a good opportunity just to say that. Um, so, Anne, I have published my children in ACT, and I'm working for the National Careers Institute, so I'm a career practitioner. And um, I am here today to talk about what is having NCI can support you. but just about pathways and about, you know, the career landscapes and what's happening in employment and further study and a few stats and things like that. But before we start, um, just to stretch your legs, if you want to go over to the table that I've set up there, there's some um, school leader information kits and there's also some parent and guardian guides. So if you want to grab one of those, and I'm just going to hand out some worksheets just for... The young people to have a look at. If anyone wants an extra one, I've got some that are a little bit different, but I'll hand those around while you go grab what you want from the table. So um, I'd like to start by also acknowledging um, the traditional owners of the land on which we're moving today, which is the Ngunnawal people. And one of the things that um, I like to do is to talk about um, maybe a relationship or something, um, um, some experience that I've had around traditional owners and something that I had the absolute privilege of doing was to go to the Northern Territory last year through this job. And it was quite incredible to go to Alice Springs in particular um, and to meet with the traditional owners there and it had quite an effect, the landscape and, and the community there had quite an effect on me. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, that, that I had that experience and that I, that I feel like it changed me a little bit. And I think one of the things that they were saying is to acknowledge not just the traditional owners, but some experience that you've had um, and maybe how that's affected you. And that was mine. So I would just like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we meet. Um, and that artwork is done by a central uh, school year 12 student in New South Wales, which is quite beautiful. So, I, um, as I said, I'm, I'm a home educated parent. I still actually have a student in year 12, um, and I work part-time for the National Careers Institute. And the National Careers Institute um, is part of the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations, so it's just moved out of another department. And it was set up because there's a lot of information now on the internet and everywhere about career. So you get all this information flooding in, and particularly for young people, which is where they go for the information, go onto the internet, and there's all these contradictory ideas about um, career. So the National Careers Institute was set up to provide accurate, impartial career information. So agnostic, because sometimes when you look on 
you know, you might look on Sydney University website, that's the absolute best university for uh, medicine. Well, of course they say that because they, they want you to go there. So we are impartial. So the National Peers Institute was set up for that. And what they've done is taken all the data from the National Skills Commission on all of this stuff and put it out through a pretty easily accessible website called Your Career. And Your Career was... Um, it's really very young people focused. So, um, and to go along with that, they started a program called the School Leaders Information Service, which is a very misleading name because it's for anybody between 15 and 24. And it was about impartial career guidance. So that's what I'm employed in. Um, I, was, I studied career education when I was younger. I worked in schools as a career practitioner. I also worked out of school as a career practitioner and I worked in private practice along with um, working with um, my kids in home education for a very long time and now I've gone into this role. So myself and my colleagues are all um, postgraduate qualified in career development and we've all had at least 10 years of experience in the field. So that's the team that I work with. The team that I work with too works across Australia. I'm the only person in ACT. So there's people all across Australia and what we do, is, apart from doing outreach like this, is we also um, talk to people over the phone. So we offer 45-minute free peer guidance sessions. So if anyone's interested in doing that, if you think it's 24 and you want to ring up and talk about your career, this is a free service. Now, often these services can be quite pricey if you're trying to get them Privately, you don't have access to career advisors within the school. So this is a great opportunity to tap into impartial career um, advice and guidance. Recently, I mean, quite a few times I've spoken to the parent of a 15 to 24-year-old or a guardian because sometimes a young person doesn't want to come and that's okay. So, you, you know, if you're a home educating parent and you want to talk um, to somebody as well, you can do that. So last year I went around New South Wales and I went to three different areas in New South Wales and spoke to home educators there. And as a result, we had quite a few people coming through the service and actually um, I, I sort of had the privilege of being able to work with most of those people because I do have a background in home education. Having said that, all of my colleagues are very up on pathways and that none of my colleagues think, oh, well, you must go year 10, year 11, year 12, go to you know, uni. No one thinks like that anymore. So people who are professionals in the field think in a very broad way. They're not thinking, oh, you're at home education, therefore you didn't get. They'll be thinking, oh, you're home educated, therefore you got these other experiences. So that's really important to know that if you do ring the service and you can just book in online or I can book you in today, that you're going to be talking to someone that understands home education, that understands that there's more pathways than just this linear one that we used to think about. And I was thinking, reflecting the other day, that when I left school, you know, it was kind of like you either went to TAFE or uni and then you got a job. And so probably if I hadn't done my career education, I might be thinking that's what my kids have to do. So it's really important just to think about the fact that actually things have dramatically changed, and particularly in the last five years, and then a massive shift during COVID. So lots of things have changed. So in today's workshop, what we're going to talk about is career decision making um, and we're going to have a bit of a look at self-awareness because when you're making a career decision, it's about who you are and it's also about the labour market. So the first thing I'd say about careers, career decisions is firstly, 
when did someone first ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? How old do you think you were? And this is parents too. Do you remember? Do you remember it being quite young? Six. Yeah, yeah, six, really yeah, young. yeah. So people ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and when you're young, you're, I'm going to be an astronaut or a ballerina. And, and then you get to about 15, someone says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like, that's <laughs> completely different, you know. And that's what happens. It's an anxiety-producing result. It's like, I need to know. You do not need to know. Absolutely vital to know this. You're in the career exploration phase of your life. Please don't feel like you need to know. And if you look back at different people's career decision-making, you'll know that not pe people didn't know at 15, that it's kind of a pathway, a winding pathway. A couple of colleagues of mine around Australia are doing a new thing called Squiggly Careers, and they're talking about the squiggly line of career rather than the linear one. And there's another theory called the chaos theory of careers that says, you know how in nature there's a chaos theory where you think, you think everything looks really sort of ad hoc, but when you look at it, there's repeating patterns, and that's how we make career decisions. So I might have thought at 15, I know, I, I thought I was going to be a psychologist, and I thought, yeah, I'll be a psychologist, and I had no idea of what that was. And then it just, the way things worked out, I ended up going into this really radical kind of teaching program around career development and life skills, and, and it just felt right for me. And now I do work in a counselling field, and I work in this field as well. But I, I'm working essentially as I, as I imagined that I would. So you see these repeating patterns, like there were certain values that I followed and so on. So when people, when people look back at their careers, they can see those repeating patterns. But you don't have to know that right now. You don't have to know that everything's going to be linear and neat and that, you know, some people even talk, it's not a linear pathway, it's more like a drunken stumble through life. And I think that's true, that's what they say in the chaos period for that, that we don't know, and that's okay. You also know that although there's a lot of change, there's a lot of opportunity for people your age, huge opportunities. So there isn't one right career decision. I'm sure you all know that. You'll know that from people around you that, you know, um, if you talk to parents, guardians, friends, you know, or your friends' parents, you'll know that people chopped and changed and um, things led them in different directions. Um, we make these career decisions in a variety of ways, and that's really important. So some people like to have very long-term goals. So when I was in private practice, people come to me and they say, right, I'm, about, I'm going to take a redundancy in three years and I want to plan for the next thing. And then other people come to me and say, got a redundancy, went and lay on a beach in Fiji, then I, and now I probably should get a job. So there's like that different ways of making decisions. And knowing how you make decisions is really important because then you can sort of, you can own your decision making and not try and make decisions the way other people do. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. And decision making isn't always easy, okay? It's not easy to make decisions, but just remember this decision isn't forever. So when we think about career decision-making, we're thinking about two aspects. So there's self-awareness. Who am I? What do I like? What do I value? What do I enjoy? And there's also labour market knowledge, okay? So I could say, oh, I love working with giraffes. I just can't imagine doing anything else. And, 
and, oh, and so I go, go for your dream job of working with giraffes. I want to live in ACT. Well, there's one giraffe in ACT, so <laughs> it's not going to work out, is it? So, so what I need to do then is look at the labour market. Well, is there actually any work with giraffes in ACT? Definitely committed to being here. I've got my family here. So looking at, or someone might say, actually, this is a really growing area because we're about to import two thousand careers from uh, giraffes from Africa. So you'll be right. So, but if you don't know that, if you're not looking at the information, you won't know that. So it's the two things together um, that you need to look at when you're making decisions. And this, the good thing about the National Careers Institute and the National Skills Commission is they've collected all that data for you. So they can kind of predict. So in the past, we could predict really well what's going to happen in the future. Now we can predict less well because things are changing rapidly because of technology, but there are some predictions that we can make. So when you're talking about your self-awareness, you're talking about your values. Like, do you know what a value is? Like, what a, what a career value is? It's, it's what's important. Okay, so I am really get bad with numbers, okay, and I don't really think, well, like, I think finance isn't one of the things that gives me joy. So if I work as an accountant, I'll probably get very tired and sick and bored and but what I do love one of my values is helping people so my job is perfect for that it gives me energy and I come home feeling great so knowing what your career values are really important and then comes in your personality and your skills and all of that kind of thing but the fact is you can learn skills in an area that you're motivated but you cannot learn to be motivated in an area that you have skills and you might be really good at something and you might not find it motivating. So that isn't where you take your energy. It's very important. And I've had people coming to me mid-career going, I always hated this job. Why did you do it? I was really good at it. And then I got a promotion and everyone congratulated me. And then, you know, so it, it's sort of like this um, self-perpetuating thing. So it's really important to think about what your values are. So I just wanted you to stop and reflect for a minute. And you can go home and do this activity later if you want to. But think about a decision that you've made recently and um, think about how you made it. So did you talk to somebody else or did you go and retreat somewhere to think about it? Um, did you... Um, and also, once you'd made the decision, did you think, oh, I should have made a different decision? So have, just think for a minute. I'll just give you a minute to think about that. How did you make a decision? And it could be you saw some textures on the table and you had to decide which colour... Or it could be something like um, you you had two social occasions and you had to decide which one to go to. Just have a think for a minute about a decision that you've made and maybe talk to someone next to you about a decision that you've made and just reflect on those questions for one minute. So if I just get you to come back and... and so was there anything... When you talked to the person next to you, it was probably someone from your family... Um, what came up around that decision-making? Did you, do you make decisions that come forward and just go on, or do you think about, oh, I could have made this decision or that decision? You don't have to say this out loud. I don't like being put in that position either. So. <laughs> so what we might do is just... I'll just give you a few examples. So we're going to look at a bit of personality now, and we're going to look at how people make decisions and how they're motivated. So when I talked about values, I'm talking about what motivates you. And we're going to look at a few different ways that people are motivated. It's all based on the Myers-Briggs um, type indicator, but it's just, just a little bit of a snapshot. So 
if you look at this and you look at the way that people make decisions, so think about some people enjoy retreating and thinking on their own. So they need that time and space. Other people like to talk to other people when making decisions because they, they need to kind of get that energy from somebody else. Um, some people take their, get their um, information through their senses, so they, they, they actually notice the detail in situations, and other people go completely from their intuition. So they're looking at the big picture and underlying meaning of things. Um, when people use their thinking, they're using their facts and logic. So has anyone ever been told, when you're making a decision, put the positives and negatives and weigh them up? Does that work for anybody? Does anybody? Yep. So some people, that's fantastic. That does not work for me. Okay, it does not work for everybody. Because logically, whether something's good and bad and all that kind of thing, it'll come back to me around what I value in my relationship. So it's not a logical process. But for people where that's a logical process, that's a brilliant way for them to make decisions, but it's not for everybody. People with judgment or just get it done, they like it when tasks are finished and that decisions are made. So, all right, I've made the decision, great. I'm going, I'm getting a new tablecloth. I really like this one, great, put it on the table. Now, I recently avoided buying curtains for a very long time. And someone said, just get the curtains, you're not sleeping, and I needed some blackout curtains. So, right, on the way home, I got them. And all the way, I'm thinking, I'll get them in colour. What if I get them in colour? I've got to think about this some more. So I got them, took them home, and I thought, yeah, I really do want a different colour. So then I went and got another colour, and now I'm like, well, I want this colour or that colour. It's going to take me a long time. So it's almost until someone said, that's it, no more curtains, <laughs> I'll probably keep thinking, but perhaps there's another colour. So that's that, that's that perceiving. And so people who are perceiving leave everything to a deadline and that's when the decision-making stops. So there's always, oh, maybe there was another idea even after it's happened. So that's something to think about in terms of your decision-making. So if you're getting frustrated with someone because they think this and then they think that and then they think something else, it's like trusting that that process, when it's time, will come to a conclusion. That it's not them being erratic, it's them working through the options. Whereas other people only want to look at a bit of information and make a decision. So it's like just acknowledging and honouring how you make your decisions. So when we talk about motivation, this sort of brings, this is also from that personality indicator, but we all have these different motivations and these are four categories of temperaments that they can go into. And so some people love freedom and action. So they love to act on the impulses. They love that ability to make an impact. So I won't ask you to call out, but some, some of the jobs you might think about with this are things like ambulance officer, uh, you know, um, emergency nurse, those sorts of things where you jump in, you, you work really quickly, and you have that level of autonomy and movement. Then we have mastery, self-control, knowledge and competence. So these people love to learn and they think that there's truth. So they're looking for the truth all the time, like more and more knowledge. And, and if you question their competence, they really find that difficult because competence is their strong, strong value. So does anyone want to guess what kind of jobs people in this category might go for? Yeah? Science. Yep, science. Engineering. Engineering. Yep, yep. 
what was the yellow? Doctorates. Yes, yeah. So that constant knowledge, not knowledge acquisition. Membership or belonging, responsibility or duty. So these people love systems. They like to walk into an organisation and say, this is the system that exists, this is the, where I am in the hierarchy, I can get down, get in the system and do it. And they want everyone to work as hard as them and they want everyone to be there in the same, you know, paying the same responsibility. They love to organise things so that everyone's together and, and getting on and all that kind of thing. So they're, they're people that need that very structured environment. They need to know what they're, what's expected of them. Can you think of any jobs that you might... Sorry? Yes, absolutely. Knowing where you stand. Having that hierarchical, having a uniform even. Yeah. Belonging to something. And then we have meaning and significance and unique identity. So these people need to know that what they're doing is meaningful, that it's significant, having an impact on people and relationships, um, and also that they're expressing themselves uniquely. So that they're not doing... Often these people go into an organisation and think, oh, I'll develop this and develop that, and then they realise there's already stuff developed. But it's like their unique identity, their unique stamp, or their unique way of doing things. And what do you think about jobs for these people? So, artists, artists creative, exactly. Yeah, artists. Teachers, teachers and carers. Caring roles, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Counselors, facilitators. Yep, yeah. Architecture designers. Yes, designers, definitely. Yep, yep. So all coming from that kind of, you know, as you say, designers designing something new, not not living with what is, but designing something new. So it's like people in this category, they they want change, even if something's working, because it'll get more boring. I remember working with a client once, and she said that she used to take her kids to school. And she used to try all these different ways of going and she got so bored one day she said she gave them the day off because she couldn't face the same pathway. So people have different ways. And so her being in a job where she's doing the same thing over and over again would de-energise her. So it's almost like if I said to you, if you're right-handed, just write with your left hand your whole career, you're going to get exhausted, you're going to feel bad about yourself. The, the result is not going to be very good. So it's about working out what that motivation is and sitting with that and working how that's going to work into your career decision-making. So when you think about your future, you bring that in, all your values. Um, looking at this, this is a bit of a map that's a good way of starting to think about things. Starting to think about... Now, some people will be thinking a lot about their family when they, when they start thinking about their future and other people will be thinking about moving away from their family or some people will be thinking, you know, more relationship-focused. Um, some people will be thinking about study, other people will be thinking about action. So if you look at that, it's kind of good just to stop and have a bit of a reflection on what's important to you. And doing a bit of a, I mean, that's obviously lots of pictures that are really well, you know, drawn, but just to sit down with a piece of paper and some textures or something and just start plotting all these things and what's important to you. So we're talking about home, family, friends, relationships, your fun and leisure and your hobbies. And for some people, they say, 
I love mountain climbing, um, you know, snowboarding and um, all of that kind of thing. And I don't care what I do for my job because I actually just want to do that on the weekends. I want to earn enough that I can do that all the time and take my annual leave and do that. Um, other people would think, well, I actually don't need to do that in my leisure time because I'm actually going to work as a snowboarding instructor. So it's about, you know, a lot of people say, what do you love, do that for your job? Well, some people don't want to do that. That's very important. Another thing that we used to always say, your dream job. Well, um, sometimes that doesn't work either, that dream-centric kind of idea. It's much more complex than that. Of course, getting in touch with what, what works for you, what makes you happy. Think about the things that you do that, that give you energy and the things that you do that don't give you energy. That's in that workbook. So if you want to do that later and just sort of um, scribble up some ideas about that, that's probably just a good way of just starting to think. And what you think about is you might think three years. Other people might think ten years. Some people might think five years. But starting to kind of think about if I had a genie who said, this is what your life is like in five years or three years or ten years, what would it look like? You know, what's important to me? So I did this exercise with a young woman and she said she would like to take a zip line to work. And it's okay to do that. It's like a fantasy exercise, but it gets you in touch with what works for you. So that's all about thinking about who you are. Okay, so that's part of the career decision making, which is about self-awareness. The second part is looking at what does the future hold? What's going on? How many giraffes will there be in Canberra in the next five years? All that kind of thing. So if we look at the research, they're saying that the future of work for today's 15-year-old um, is going to be a bit different. It's going to be different in the next five years than it was, say, for us. So automation is a huge thing. So who's heard robots going to get your job? Yeah, yeah. Now, a robot can't do every job. Okay, but the things that a robot can do, it probably will do. So there are certain car factories where robots are doing most of the process. Um, if you go to Woolies, you know, as much as you might hate it, you have to go through the self-checkout, and that's a robot. So all of those things that we actually, um, those entry-level jobs where you might leave straight from school and go into them, they will. There'll be a bit more automation, but not all jobs can be automated, so that's important to remember. The other thing is that the, the work um, landscape has become global. So apart from it already going that way, but employees were a little bit reluctant about work from home or global kind of connections, COVID just catapulted that into a whole new way of being. So it wasn't just COVID, but COVID pushed it very quickly into that more global. So people are working um, with people around the world, okay, and they're working for people or providing products from around the world. And the other thing is that probably not just having one employer. So when my parents left school and did their study, they went into an employer. I think they probably had two employers each for the whole... So they stayed in the same career and two employers. Obviously, I've had virtually the same career but lots of different employers. 15-year-olds today looking forward to a future of having lots of different employers over their lifetime, but even maybe at once, which for some people, we talked about those people that are a bit more, oh, whatever, and, or, you know, autonomy, and that's very exciting. And for people who like structure, that can be a bit scary. 
But not all jobs will be like that, but some will. So planning your career is no longer planning steps on the ladder. So you start here, you go there. It's actually, you can choose your experiences. It's more like, as I said, a winding road. And you can develop networks and you can develop skills that are going to take you where you want to go. So the Foundation for Young Australians, which is where this research came from, said that people entering the workforce today over their lifetime are are probably going to work in five different industries. So five separate industries. Now, not, not completely different industries, obviously connected industries, but up to five industries for 17 employers, which seems daunting. And I think when you're 15, you can't really imagine your life past 22, so that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> um, and when you're standing at this end of your career looking back, you think, oh, that was a tiny little spot in my career. And so there's all this opportunity where you might be moving around. So what does that mean for you? Like, my parents could say, my employer's going to look after me. I can't say that, okay, because my employer might look after me, might not, something will shift. So it's completely different. So what that means is it comes back to you to manage your career, to make sure you're developing the skills that you want. So jobs are much more related than we think. So if you're in one job, you're developing or have skills for 13 other jobs. So... What, what they realised is that instead of saying that there were all these distinct kind of industries, what they're saying is there's job clusters. Okay, so if I'm in a job as a career practitioner, I'm also developing, um, you know, skills to be a counsellor or have skills to be a counsellor. So in my job, I, I work as a counsellor and I also work as a career practitioner. So I get, they're sort of related, but that's, that there's much more crossover. But also, I don't know whether you've come across this woman in home education, but she did some work with home education. She was a science artist. So she was a geologist and an artist working at the CSIRO. Now, when I was at school, someone said, oh, you know, you can be a science artist. I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. That would never happen. So we're thinking about jobs of the future are going to be a little bit different. Lots of opportunity. So these are the seven job clusters that there are across Australia. So if you look at those, and you can do an activity later where you can have a look at which one of those you're mostly likely to resonate with. Um, So jobs come into those. So the technologists might have scientists, IT people, um, engineers, so all these different people into those categories. Um, You know, the informers would be your social media, your journalists, you know, and, and things, you can see how things are starting to integrate a lot more than they were. So maybe later you can go back and have a look. There's a little questionnaire in there that you can have a look and decide which one of those you might fall into. So that means that you can choose a job that helps you to develop skills within a cluster. So you can choose a job that, you know, where you might start here, you develop a network, you develop skills, and then you can move somewhere else, but you can decide that. So you're not restricted by... Well, I chose science, therefore I'm working for the CSRI and that's what all I'm ever going to do. But you're developing other skills and you can choose to do that. Um, you can develop, focus on developing technical and enterprising skills common within the cluster. So things aren't as separate. So 
I want to just tell you a little bit. Now, if you get bored, just put your hand up and I'll just skip through this because it, it can be a bit boring, but get the kind of idea what I'm talking about. Um, this is talking about where the jobs are. Um, and you can see that service industries now are much higher than producing industries. So producing industries used to be a much bigger part of the employment landscape and now um, service industries are higher. So if you just have a look through those and look at the ones that are um, the, the share of employment by industry just late last year, and you can see that healthcare and social assistance was the greatest employer, um, going down to... Um, arts and recreation, which would have been affected by COVID. Um, but you can see that those um, producing industries, there's only a few in that top area. So thinking about what are those things in service industries and particularly in healthcare and social assistance, why do you think that would be growing, healthcare and social assistance? Ageing population, yeah. So we're going to have fewer people to look after, you know, more people. So that's a huge area of growth. Um, obviously, um, education and training, accommodation, food services are all really strong growth areas. Um, and you can look at the projected employment to 2026, and you can see that those four top, those four top ones there, okay, and you can see construction is the only one there, that comes from the um, producing industry. So over 90% of new jobs will require vocational, educational, university qualifications. Yeah? So can I just ask, like, the construction industry, the reason why it's sitting there, is that because it's been seen as being more automated and therefore not so you can see this is the overview of Australia at the moment and this is ACT so these are the industries that employ a lot of people in ACT so this is looking now what I'd like to put a caveat here because this is based on advertised positions. So we know that not all positions are advertised. So just remembering that there's a hidden job market, there's self-employment, there's start-up businesses that aren't going to be um, that aren't going to be advertising positions. So just being aware that these are the advertised positions in ACT. And these are yeah, these are the most advertised positions at the moment. And these are the which jobs will be in demand. And you can see that, cert to year 12 or below, and these are, um, and then the certificate three diploma level and bachelor degree or higher. So knowing what employers want in this uncertain time is really important. So you can know that. So not thinking, everything's changing, I can't know. You can know what employers want, and that's why a lot of research goes on through now Jobs and Skills Australia, which used to be National um, Skills Commission. So let's have a look at what the future market looks like. So remember Cyrus talking about this? Nine out of ten jobs in the future will be higher skilled and will require post-school qualifications. doesn't mean uni, but nine out of ten. So that's only 10% of jobs advertised in the future will require school-level um, uh, qualification. 
So it'll be advanced for or university. Looking here, you've got bachelor's degree or higher education, 53%. Certificate, two, three, four, advanced diploma qualifications, 39%. And there's that 8% is secondary education. Does that surprise anyone? No? So um, the, job, the significant growth will be, as we talked about, in this healthcare kind of area. So you can think about healthcare and you think, oh, okay, so we need aged care nurses. But then you think we also need aged care facilities. We also need people cooking in the aged care facilities. So there's a whole range of different things. We need physiotherapists. We need people caring for people at home. So it's not just one thing. Thinking about all of the things that are related to that, And then also, obviously, ICT is a growing area. And what's the, the biggest growing area in ICT? What do you think it is? Do you think about what's been happening lately? Cybersecurity. Cyber huge. And cybersecurity isn't just ICT. Cybersecurity is a huge area, and it's something that you can get really uh, low-cost qualifications in at the moment because we need to skill up that workforce because it's going to be... It is a growing area. The other thing that um, with ICT that I think might be really interesting is um, we're, obvi we're obviously talking about advertised positions here. But if you think about someone like Apple, what they do is they put some open source code out. People start playing around with it. Now, some people might do something really great. Apple approaches them and poaches them. So they're not going to ask, oh, what degree do you have? Which university did you go to? They're going to say, you did this thing great. Now, with um, things like cybersecurity, they're going to be looking for people that can hack into systems. They're not going to be poaching people that have hacked in illegally, but they're going to be looking for those skills above anything else. And I know at CIT, I think it was last year, they had a big thing on IT. IT companies came out and they said, if you've worked at Macca's and we know you work hard, you listen, you get trained, you've dealt with these things, we'll take you above a university student. So I thought that was really interesting. So thinking about... These, this is what's advertised and getting all this data from there, but thinking about the hidden job market. And with the hidden job market, it's who you know, okay, and the practical skills that you have. So just keeping that in mind as well. The other thing is um, things like um, my son is a coder, and I say to him, oh, how's your resume going? He goes, what? Like, all his stuff is, and I said, it's on GitHub. I'm, what's GitHub? So, you know, so I have to keep up with... What's GitHub? Okay, so if you put your code on GitHub, someone sees it, that's where you get your work from. It's not going to be by, you know, a resume that you send out. Same with a lot of graphic designers. I can't remember what that one is, but there's a lot of, you know, art and things like that will go through seeing what you've got online. So this is growth is going to be varied across these ones. And you just think we're all going to, always going to need houses. Um, you know, the mining industry is still going. You know, you've got... Um, Obviously, we need plumbing, we need water, we need bathrooms, so thinking about that. And I know um, I went to a conference a couple of years ago, and there was a guy from New Zealand, and our research is almost the same as theirs. And he said in New Zealand there was this big heat wave, and they never have heat waves. Everyone turned their air conditioners on, and they didn't work because they hadn't been turned on for so long. And he said, suddenly everyone needed an electrician. And he said, you know, you can't actually fix that. So certain things, obviously, it's too dangerous to fix. So, they, you know, everyone was calling an electrician. And he, he showed the stats over the lifetime of earning of an electrician uh, and a plumber 
against a doctor and a lawyer. And actually, it's not until about 35 where the income is, has parity. So prior to that, a plumber and an electrician is going to be earning a lot more than a doctor and a lawyer. And at the most sort of time where you need the most money in your life, that's where people with those trades are going to be earning more than people with those professions. So that's a really important thing to notice. I was talking to a young man the other day, he said, I love ele ele um, electrical stuff. I could get into um, electrical engineering. I'd love to be an electrician, but I won't earn as much, so I'm going to go into engineering. And so when we looked at the, the income across and how much he was going to accrue in debt, it's huge difference. And as Cyrus says, you're earning. You're earning as you learn. So education and training, what will this give me? So just very much what I've been saying, it's just that the job market is becoming more skilled. Now, the Australian Qualifications Framework, which is how they work out what's equal to what in terms of studying qualifications, used to be linear, but now it's actually like this. And actually people will swing it. So they might go, some people, in fact, there are a lot of people going into trades like plumbing and electrical that have degrees. So it's not like I'll do a Cert 2, a Cert 3, a Cert 4 diploma, advanced diploma degree. You might do a degree in a Cert 4. Then you might do, you know, um, you know um, a diploma and then you think, oh, I, I'd really like to do that Cert 3. Or, you know, I know somebody who has a degree in engineering but is really interested in doing SES, so goes off there and does all these Cert 2s and is learning and... It's like that lifelong learning that we get. So this is a spinning wheel now. It's not a one, two, three. It's not hierarchical. So, but a qualification isn't all you need. And I think we heard this from Cyrus a bit too. Um, employers also want people with experience. So employers, education and training is essential, as we've talked about. Experience is necessary. And employability skills are vital. So that's what... Cyrus referred to as soft skills. I call them employability skills because they're general employability skills across industries, but they're vital. Vital. So 75 employers places least as much emphasis, if not more, on the personal qualities rather than technical skills. So one of the big things they want is people who will listen and learn. So it's... And also... Yeah, I'll go on to that in a minute, but listening and learning and being able to be trained and turning up on time and all of those kinds of skills. These are the essential employability skills. So if you go through all the job ads that come out all the time, these will come up again and again. And if you look at the Your Career website, you'll see the six top skills for each job and you'll be able to work this out. But interpersonal and people skills, I want to say this as an introvert myself, you don't have to be an extroverted out there love people to be good at interpersonal skills. You can be quiet, you can be a really good listener, you can be measured in the way you talk, it can take you longer to talk. All of those things doesn't mean you don't have good interpersonal skills. So I was speaking to a young man the other day and he said, I'm really bad with people with communicating. And I was asking, he's, got, he's a, um, an individual care worker and he had three different clients who adored him. And I said, well, how do you communicate with them? They said, oh, they love me. I said, so you're a brilliant coordinator, but you um, communicate with me. You're not going to do that in front of a group of people, and that's okay. So just being aware, often when people hear interpersonal skills, they think about people that are really good at marketing themselves and 
really, really confident. It doesn't mean that. There's lots of different ways of interacting with people. The communication and teamwork, organisation and planning. Um, a lot of you being in home education, you've had to do more organisation and planning. You've probably been more independent learning than maybe some of your peers that are at school. So that's something to think about. Do you have good self-direction skills? Are you able to motivate yourself and are you able to fill in your time with, with things that motivate you? The other thing that I notice going around talking to the home educators compared to maybe talking to some school people is sometimes I'll say to people who have been to school, what do you like doing? And they're like, oh, I'm too busy to know. Whereas home educators tend to, to know very quickly, I love my um, saxophone and I play it all the time. Or you know, So there's a little bit more space there. So that's something to think about as well. Um, adaptability and resilience. Now, I don't like resilience because I don't like the word resilience, but I think what it, what it really means is that if something happens, you can kind of come back, you know, that, that, that you're not going to take it on or be destroyed by it, but, but that you're going to know that maybe this isn't about you. So if you're at McDonald's and you're, you serve someone their hamburger and they come back and say, this wasn't it, and they start yelling at you, that you can say, this isn't about me, this person's probably had a bad day, and that you can deal with that. That's what resilience is kind of about. Um, reliability and motivation, critical thinking and problem solving, and also digital literacy is really important, obviously. In every single job, digital literacy is very important. So three out of four employers require applicants with work experience, and it shows that they're reliable and trustworthy, um, shows they know how to work, provides uh, contacts and references. Now, it's networking, really. It's that you show somebody that you can do something having that work experience. So you might be really fantastic. You might look at a job and go, I could do all of that, but you haven't been able to demonstrate that, and someone else can't say you can do it. So that's all work experience is about. And it provides those opportunities to develop skills. We, um, the home education you can do work experience through yeah. the directorate, so that's something to think about, um, apart from answers and things like that, but also work experience. So there's, a, there's lots of ways to, work, to do work experience, volunteering, sports clubs, churches, community. So it doesn't have to be part-time or casual employment. It can be a whole range of things. And I was just saying before, I was talking to um, a home education mum, helping her with her resume, and she put in her resume voluntary work and she made that heading and I said, well, actually that's work. You didn't get paid for it, but it's work. So we need to think about what is work. It's the things that you do, the things that you achieve. It isn't whether you get paid or not. So thinking about voluntary work and what kind of voluntary work you've done is good. Um, and of course, the home ed work experience program. So I'm going to finish in a minute. You'll be very pleased to hear that. So... Um, this is our website, Your Career. Uh, you go onto Your Career and um, it, can, it shows you everything. It shows you, like if you say, I want to be a nurse, you put in nursing. It shows you what nurses do. It shows you six top skills employers are looking for, related fields. Then you can go into a website called Course Seeker. It shows every course in ACT or if you want to look in New South Wales or whatever. Um, every single course at university and it puts them on a page so you can see the ATARs which will be irrelevant, and that's okay. You can look at, and you can look at different things like, say if you wanted to do um, nursing, if you go onto the, um, the Professional Association for Nursing, you'll see that you can do 
a Cert 3, a diploma. The diploma then counts as your first year of nursing degree and then you can and you can start working as an enrolled nurse and then you can do two years to become a, um, a registered nurse. So lots of different pathways like that. The other thing with this website, and, and I can take bookings today, you can come and talk to one of us and we can talk individually about your pathway. And I was talking to people, I saw these really fantastic vocational pathways where if you do this as for where it leads you, and they're really good things. So Peter's going to um, show people or, or bring some of those down later. But just think about um, jumping in as a family or, you know, parent or, or guardian and young person or young person, and we can talk to you about your individual pathways. So talk to you about your values, your interests, your skills, all of that, your personality, talk to you about, um, you know, what you're interested in, what individual pathway you can take. Now, in Canberra, we're very lucky because if people don't get an ATAR at school, they can go and do a um, bridging program at University of Canberra or at the Catholic University and go straight into uni. You can also do, as I just said, certs and diplomas and get into university and a diploma often counts for the first year of a degree. So then you, you're doing a lower cost qualification as a diploma and you're getting into the second year of university. So there's lots of different ways you can do things, but having a, a talk with an individual career practitioner is probably really good and it's a good time to get in um, because we're not taking bookings after April for a little while, so just or March, I think. So I would suggest that you jump in for that free session um, as soon as you can. So book a session on the, the website. Um, if you want to, jump onto that website, have a look at it. It will take you to Course Seeker. It will take you to My Skills, which is the vocational, um, the vocational website as well. This will show you everything you need to to know about different career pathways, but working with a career practitioner is absolutely essential. Like research shows, you can look at everything on the internet, but if you're with a career practitioner, it's going to be more, more effective. And also, then you can go off once you've done that, so maybe we sit down and talk about nursing, then you can go and look at psychology, you can look at, you know, um, joining the ACT police, whatever, but you've got those skills and you know how to get through that website. So does anyone have any questions? Okay. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, how old do you have to be to do a few sessions? Oh, 15. Yeah. Any other questions about that? If someone is to come back and have another talk again, what are the costs involved? There are no costs to Like, we can't charge for sessions and you can't do more than one. But having said that, um, there are occasions where I've talked with someone and the session's been cut short, so I've had to book them back into the remainder of their session, so that's a possibility. So if you say, come and, you know, work through things and um, get to about 35 minutes and you know that there's lots of other things you want to look at before you want to talk more, then we can split that session. Um, and you can come back later. So you can have a second session because that's the way the policy is, but you can actually split your session. It's really quite important to time that in those later teenage years to time that really well and not just drive into it what you can because yeah. you might not be as ready or as thought through, but there will be another 18 months. 
Definitely, I'd say two things about that. One, is this the government funded program that's funded to the June 30th? And I don't know if it's funded after that. So that's, that's one thing to consider. The other thing to consider is you could come this year and if it's refunded, you can come back again next year. So that, that I've seen people, um, like we've worked with schools, worked with them in year 10 and then in year 11, you know, because that, that's how it's worked. So um, I, I'd take advantage of it now because I, I know that it's I know that it's funded until the thirtieth of June, and I know we're taking bookings until the thirty first of March. But beyond that, I, I can't promise you. Yeah. Take advantage now and often. Yeah. As long as you can make that happen on the system. Oh yeah, definitely. If you come to me today, I'll put I'll put a booking in, and um, and we might even be able to look at when when you could do that. But if you just give details. Then you can get booked in with this in the system. And uh, also, if you book in and you find that you're not available that day, just send an, a, an email and say, "I can't come today. Can I come another day?" And we're just we're very flexible. But you need to be booked in by that time. Yeah. And the other part of that that I think to add is take advantage of um, work experience as well. Like we encourage our kind of teenagers to, even if as Cyrus said, if you go and do work experience or something like an LSA and go, oh, that was a disaster. That's a really valuable week to know that you don't want to be an LSA. So just take advantage of all of those opportunities. The directorate will support you to do um, work experience with covering insurance and things like that. So just email our team and we'll hook you up with the, the group to do that. But take advantage of as much of that as you can. Just to tick off some of those things that you don't like is as valuable as things that you do like. Yeah? What grade does that start with? I think it says year nine-ish in the... That would be 14, personally. Thank but you, Cyrus. There, are, there have been examples of students doing work experience placements when they're younger than 14. There's a process that you need to go through and Anyway, so generally speaking, 14 years older. Just email us and we'll see what we can find. So do we, so um, for work experience, do we just contact you first and say, okay, Susanna wants to do this kind and you'll, you'll go from there? So we don't approach people ourselves? Now, I think Gillian is going to potentially give some insight into the work experience aspect with the, the website. Um, what we have done in the past is we've just sent you in the direction of the work experience team um, and they've kind of given you the four-way agreement, which is between the employer, the directorate, the parent, and then the parent at the school. Uh, and that just covers the insurance aspect of it. Um, I believe that that's changing a little bit around who is being vetted as a workplace. Um, but I think if you're thinking about doing work experience, just come to us, we'll send you in the right direction of the team um, and just make sure you're supported to do it. There's also a platform, um, it's called InPlace, and it's a work experience database that has every employer who has pretty much gone on and said, yeah, I'm willing to take on the student for work experience. And there's 3,000 employees on there currently. But you can't just find it by Googling InPlace, you have to log in with, through, like, your, with your school email address. So that's so, tricky for us because these guys don't have school okay. email addresses and I think we've been kind of working okay. to try and get um, broader access. So yeah. the EDU um, uh, email, if you have one access to that. Yeah, the school set email Yeah. One of my colleagues who manages that board of directors, I mean, I'll have a conversation with you and see if I can sort of try to do that. That'd be great. And we'll... Um, we'll Stalky, subtly, yes. to get access to the <laughs> Excellent. So, any more Thanks. questions for Kate?
I'll be over there at the end if you want to have a chat with me or book in in. or... Yeah. I'm going to book in even though I'm twice 24. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I feel like I'm ready for it, though. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Kate. All right, so now we've got Gillian, who is going to talk about the Careers Tools website. Um, Where do we put the clicker? I keep putting things down. I put it down over there. Oh, at the top is the clicker, that little thing. Um, And we've sent out uh, an email last year asking if people wanted access to the Career Tools website. I think you're going going the other way. There you go. so it's not too late to get access to it. We Just send us an email after today to say that you want access to the account. At the moment, everything's a little bit on hold until next week, but we will get back to you next week and give you access to this website if you don't already have it. So I'll hand over to Gillian. Thanks. So my name's Gillian Sinclair, and I work with Cyrus in the Careers and Vocational Pathways team. And I'm specifically working on career education. So what Kate's just been talking about to you is so important to do this exploration early. And Career Tools is a platform that the Education Directorate has bought licences for and which you all have access to the Home Education Career Tools platform. So I'm going to give you an overview of that. And I'm I'm just thinking that if... People want like to do an online session with me once they've set up their account. I'd be really happy to run a session during um, the day or later on in the day when you're all available and just to step you through what that platform looks like because I think knowing what type of learner you are is really important. I find watching someone drive a mouse um, really um, not a good way for me to learn. I'm a hands-on learner. So if I can watch someone doing it and I'm playing with it as well, that kind of cements it in my brain. So I'm aware that some people might look at this this afternoon and think, oh, I didn't take that in. Um, But if if you can get in touch with me and let me know a good time, we'll just send out an online meeting request and you can have your account and I'll talk you through. But I'll give you an overview now. This is a symbol for career tools. You'll find that on the platform. And career tools is an all-in-one platform and we've got lots of links that Kate's mentioned are all grouped together on this one site. So it's like a one-stop shop for your career education. And all ACT public high school and colleges have access to this, as do you and lots of schools in in the private education sector have as well. And your student data that you enter on here is kept safe because of the infrastructure and privacy policies aligned with um, Australian standards. So once you set up that account, you teachers as parents and students have access to this. And we've got the link there for you. And so... When you come onto the landing page, which I'll show you in a moment, the job opportunities are there, information about senior secondary study, post-school options, all that information is gathered there with links for you to go on. So you don't have to go doing Google searches to find things out. And this is what the page will look like. Um, And I can send you this PowerPoint um, and you can send it out. So if you want to just... Um, yeah, yep, have a look that. at it. 
So you can see we've got on there important information. We've got senior school, post-school options, workplace learning. Uh, there's information specifically for parents, um, how to have a career conversation with your young person and how to support them in their career exploration. Some good details there. And then for students, there's information too. When you go into the login, you go into the secure student login. I've got two short videos to show you that will demonstrate career tools I might a lot need better to, than uh, me. I might need to ask a young person to come up. Welcome to your student board, specifically designed to support you both during school and on the journey to further education, work and travel. So let's show you around. On your dashboard, you'll find your career plan, career investigator, career portfolios, which are made up of your resume, cover letter, and e-portfolio. In addition, there is my school pages, which will contain additional information from your school. To the right are the upcoming career-related events, of which you can scroll through and view further details of each event. And here you have career journeys. There are eight journeys, all consisting of a number of activities and tools to support you both now and in the future. These can be either accessed via the side menu here, or from the dashboard here. In the Career Journeys menu, simply click on the journey icon you wish to explore. You'll notice a short description of that journey, how many activities there are, and how many you've completed. In addition, you can view all activities. This will display all activities within that journey, and where you're up to. Easy. To start a journey, simply click this button. In the top right is your profile. Here you can update your information. This includes changing your password, record your new assignment, view your progress, upload and view any documents you want to safekeeping, and view interactions or interviews you have with teachers. Also in the top right is your careers toolbox. Here you'll find quick links to items already on your dashboard, such as career investigator, career portfolios, enterprise skills auditor, career planning personal statement tool, events calendar, and call search. Each feature will have further guidance as you navigate your way through each one, so don't worry. Anytime you wish to return to your dashboard, simply click the pink logo at the top. And always remember to log out when you're done to keep your personal information safe. So go ahead, explore, learn, and enjoy. So what we would do if we had an online session, you'd log in once you've set up your account, and then I would be taking you through those different steps. So that's just a very brief overview. And so in the secure student area, you've got all these different things that you can access here. And I think the fact that you can actually do some lessons on there, your career lessons, your career journeys, you can create your portfolio, your resume, um, you can come up with your transition plan. All the templates there are available. There's also the workplace safety lessons, quizzes, and also the virtual job experience, which I'm going to show you in a minute as well. So that's just a screenshot of what it looks like when you log on as a student. And I just want to talk a little bit about the, the career journey lessons that you can do. The first one, learning about yourself, what type of learner you are, your strengths, your pass passions, your interests, what you don't like is really important as well. 
Then you can go in looking at work and there's all these lessons are mapped to the ACARA curriculum. So you're meeting the general capabilities in the ACARA curriculum. There's a lot of materials. There's two modules there on entrepreneurship, on creating your own opportunities as well. And then there's post-school planning. So those eight career journeys are really useful lessons that you can um, work your way through, complete them, and then you can get a record of what you've what you've actually um, been and done. With the ePortfolio, you can display your work, projects, skills, experience, achievements, interests, the goals that you're setting and, and what, you're, what you're completing there as well. You can also upload materials on there. And if you are thinking you might use an ePortfolio to apply for a job or for work experience, then you've got all those materials there that you can access. And this is the Career Planner too. There are questionnaires that you, you complete for each year group, and so you can go in and choose which one. So we might uh, perhaps want to set these for the home group, home education group, or maybe we want to leave them open because if you've got a young person who's got accelerated learning going on, then maybe they'd be wanting to do that earlier. So that's something we can talk about as well. And there's also a function on there to generate a parent document too. The virtual job experience is really um, quite innovative and the My Future website has developed virtual job experiences as well, but the first one that I've seen is the career tools one. And there are some jobs that it's really hard to do work experience. If you want to be a psychologist or you want to be a police officer, often it's really difficult to get that on-the-job experience. And so you can do this virtual job experience and get a, a taste of a lot of different activities um, and what requirements are, what income are, uh, would be for particular, particular jobs. So it can also be good preparation before you go out and do a real face-to-face -face work experience. So if you really want to get your head around what this job might involve, uh, what it might look like, uh, what you might need to wear, who you might talk to. The virtual job experience can be useful for that as well. And this is what the virtual job experience looks like. So this is just a screenshot of a few ones. And if we had a session and you wanted, we could even just do a session on virtual job experience and we can go in and look at the activities. So there'll, for example, if you wanted to be a vet, there's a video of going into a, a veterinary surgery showing you what it looks like, showing you what a vet would be doing, say, with domestic animals. Um, it goes through what the training would be involved, what um, projected income would be, what, um, what the day-to-day -day work would be like. So perhaps looking at what it might be like if you have to um, uh, put an animal down and some of, the, some of the difficulties of doing those jobs. And then people in those areas are also interviewed as well. So there's a whole range, and they're adding many more um, job areas to career tools too. Every couple of weeks, there's more virtual job experiences.
So that's a, a very quick snapshot. I was a bit loath to go into the website and, and drive the mouse and also being aware that I'm the last speaker today that you, um, you might have had enough by the time I came along. But I'm really happy to take any questions about career tools and how it might fit with what Kate was talking about and Cyrus and Pete. Questions? Would an online session be something people would find useful? Yeah. Yeah. We'll leave could, that with us. Yeah, we could do one on career journeys, one on virtual job experience. The careers and vocational pathways team are also posting opportunities on the front of career tools as well. So you can set alerts to get those notifications. So when we know that, for example, we had... Um, an entrepreneurship program running in January through an outside provider and we posted that up on there so that you could go and do a school holiday program um, on entrepreneurship. So those sort of opportunities are on Career Tools as well. We're editing it for all schools, public schools and colleges in the ACT. So we, as information comes to us and, for example, the Head Start and school-based apprenticeship opportunities, they're coming up on career tools as well. And Cyrus is also working with me on career tools. Did you want to add anything, Cyrus? Um, I'm not so too much. The great part was you know, a lot of people don't know about it. It's mm -hmm. definitely great to hear that the home education side of things getting their custom page. But um, yeah, there's like so much, like, it's been days and days working mm -hmm. on there. But um, yeah, I would highly recommend everyone to just go check it out. It's really introspective. And, and there's also a great link to general resources as well. And if you go on to log in and then go forgot password, then you put your email in, they'll, they'll send you the link, and then you're ready to go. So That's I think what quick. we've done is we've sent out information to say, if you want access to the page, let us know. Um, we've given access to everyone who's asked. Um, but what we'll do next week is send that out again, say, don't forget, this is available. That way we'll set you up in the back end. We don't look at anything. We have to have access to it to do password things, but we don't look at what you've done on there at all. Um, it would be nice to have the luxury of the time to go through all of the, your career tool stuff, but, but we're not going to do look at anything that you've done, any of your quizzes or anything like that. We just have access for the admin side of it. Um, so we'll send out reminders and, and get anyone set up who wants to. Um, we'll also just send out a few suggestions of maybe some sessions we could run around career tools specifically and then see what people are interested in doing. So we'll get on to that next week as well. And once you've got your account, I would suggest you go into the virtual job experience and you just have a play. Uh, some of the activities have estimated times that they take to complete, but you can start uh, a virtual job experience, go out and come back in and everything that you've done is saved. Uh, the other thing with that, you also get certificates to show that you've completed the virtual job experience. It also has templates of emails that you can send out to employers. It's got templates for thank you letters um, and it's got the um, workplace health and safety. Because we've um, in place, which is the database of employers who will take work experience students, is through the digital backpack. Um, students might not have access to all the workplace health and safety materials, but they are on career tools.
There are also links specifically for the ACT, so things about young persons' rights at work, um, and there's, there's a new portal on WorkSafe for young people too. So we've asked Career Tools to put up all the ACT details on Career Tools. Great. It's a great resource. Thank yeah, you for yes. coming along. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, is there any general questions or questions for our other presenters that you've kind of been thinking about that you would like to ask before we finish up? I'd just like to say thank you. I'm I'm overwhelmed by the, the amount of support services that there are that I didn't realise mm. were out there. Thank you. So thank you for presenting all this. Great. And look, Kate was the instigator in this. She said, I've done this thing with some New South Wales home educators. I'd love to come and do it. And then Helen kind of reached out to other, other members of the directorate. So thank you so much, Kate, for getting us on the bandwagon for that. <laughs> and can I please also thank Gillian and Cyrus and Pete who came along and, and spoke. And Adriana, who greeted you all and did the amazing basket of snacks. But can I just thank Jacinta, who is actually not even a member of the home education team, but has just stepped up. She's done all my printing. She has boxes and all things organised so that when I got here today, I was just right to, to set up. So thank you so much, Jacinta, for just stepping up and, and helping us out today.